so I wanted to. It's, a, it's an American thing. There we go. I thought it was already on. Uh, but I want to say thank you to, uh, to Good Shepherd. I echo your pastor's sentiment that uh, you have been uh, just so quick to serve us. And with an excellent spirit, everywhere we go, there's somebody asking what we need. Um, earlier, we were in the pastor's office, and there was some water in there. We had, I had a water cup, and I made sure I set it on a coaster. And then I came back in after the service looking for my cup, and it was gone. But all of them were washed and back out and fresh water back. And just all those little things that somebody was taking care of all of that, watching the kids, making sure that the bathrooms were fresh between all the services. And then all the music. Man, the musicians have done good. Haven't they done great? So good, and that the music I have been ministered very, very uh, well in my soul by the by the music this week, and you can tell that there's been passion in it, prayer in it, and it's not just musicians playing; it's musicians who have been prayed up and wanting to glorify God and minister to us, and we're so thankful for all you've done. Uh, let's open our Bibles tonight to Second Thessalonians. It's been a joy to be with all my friends down here. Um, I call them my friends. They just call me Dean, and uh, and so I don't know if I don't know if it's reciprocated, but it's just a joy. You know, years ago, um, I went to pastor a church in South Mississippi in America, and we um, we got to this little church, and the church was kind of broken, and it was out in just in the in the country. Um, in a smaller city, and it wasn't, the church had really no affiliation with any, with any group, with any college, and in a lot of ways, that was a blessing, but we were just kind of, it was just our family and our people, and, and we, we, just, we just fell in love with our church family and our church people, but I began to pray after being there for some years. I thought, Lord, I, I, need, some, I need some ministry friends that can be an accountability to me that can check my spiritual life, that can speak into my life when I need to, that can iron, sharpen iron. And I began to pray about that. I began to ask the Lord for good friends. And I want to tell you, God has answered that prayer abundantly above all that I could ask or think. Uh, good Shepherd, your pastor is one of my friends. Uh, Brother Mansers, one of my dear friends. Brother, Brother Skelly is one of my dear friends. Brother Murphy. Just all these men that have been here ministering this week, we've, we've had opportunities to preach together. We've had opportunities to, to fellowship. And, but, you know, when I'm with these men, and this is, this is, this is something that I, I want you to know this. But when I'm with these men, um, they're just genuine. And what they preach up here, they believe. And they live that. And, and they're, they're willing to speak they're willing to speak to each other um, the things that need to be heard, necessary things. 
And that's a great, that is a great gift of God. And the church is a great gift of God in that way. And, and I hope that you have friends that will speak into your life when you need to be spoken to. And uh, that can encourage you and sharpen you and reprove you. Amen? Um, and so that's a blessing. Brother Naranjan, so good to be with you guys. Well, I was able to preach there at Southland and just thankful for Brother Naranjan's friendship. And through the years, we met uh, for the first time, I think, we met there in, uh, in the uh, SLC Asia in Manila. And I was preaching, <laughs> I was preaching there. I got to tell you this really quick. This is so funny. I was preaching in Manila. I had never been, I had never been out of the U.S., except to a little bit over the border in Canada and to Mexico, but nothing to, nothing to speak of. And I get on this plane, and I fly to the Philippines, and I go to Manila, and I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea where we're going. I have no idea what to expect. I have no idea what I'm eating. Um, <laughs> I, did eat, I did eat balut. And um, absolutely. Mine, mine was 18 days. Um, the duck actually swam around in my mouth for a little while, kind of quacked at me and then went down the hatch. That was a blessing. But I, uh, I, was, I was preaching and I had, I had a really bad shoulder. I'd hurt my shoulder at a camp. And um, I got to the Philippines and man, there's, there's 6,000 people in this conference. And I, I preached a message and I got done preaching and one of the Filipino pastors came to me and said, Pastor, he said, is there something wrong with your arm? I said, yeah, my, my shoulder's really hurt. He said, come with me. And he got me in his car, and he drives me across Manila. And, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're making, he's making U-turns on the interstate, and I'm seeing trucks coming at very fast speed. I'm like, hey, they're, they're coming. He said, they will adjust. And, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was crazy. And... Um, he takes me to this place, and I'm in this. He, we walk into this old, this old, old building, and he said, "Just sit on this table right here." And he said, "There's gonna a lady's gonna come out." He said, "Do not tell her what's wrong with you. Don't say a word about what's wrong with you." And I'm like, "What kind of a doctor is this?" Like, a... so this lady comes out, and she is ancient. I mean, ancient, ancient. So she comes out. And she tells me, take off your shoes and your socks. So I, I take my shoes and socks off. And, um, and I got my daughters with me, you know, just for, for safety. <laughs> you know, in case they need to beat this lady up or something. <laughs> so she, she takes my, I take my shoes and socks off and she starts, she starts working over my foot. She's just going in and out of my arch and my heel. And she's just moving around my foot, pushing in. And she got up between my toes, and she got between two toes, and she hit something in there. And I sat off that table, and I said, whoa, don't do that again. <laughs> and she said, she said, you have frozen shoulder. I don't know how she knew that. It was like a voodoo or something. <laughs> she made me lay down. She said, lay down. And I said, no, 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 don't do that again. Don't touch it. I mean, it hurts so bad. She said, you lay down. You can say bad words. <laughs> and... And uh, she got to work in, I mean, just digging around. And I mean, I was, I was in pain and sweating, and she worked on that for a while. And then, and then uh, she got finished, and, and she said, now sit up. I sat up, and she said, now do this. 
and I did that, and I mean, I could lift my arm up. And still to this day, like I've never had any, I have no, I have no pain in that arm. And I thought, I don't know if I just got possessed. I don't know what happened. I don't know what this lady did to me. But I know this, if I ever have an issue like that, it's cheaper to buy a ticket to the Philippines and just knock on her door. And uh, I think she'll still be there. Um, but anyway, so that's where I first met Miranda. And I had no idea what I was doing. And, and he just said, Pastor, don't, don't go with people around the city. You know, check with us first. But... Anyway, we're in 2 Thessalonians. We're in the book of 2 Thessalonians tonight. It's just been a joy to be here. What a blessing. 2 Thessalonians. We've heard so much this week. I don't know about you, but my heart is full. And uh, tonight, my, my prayer, my goal, and uh, my aim with the Lord was, Lord, let's just let's encourage the people to just stay steadfast in a rapidly changing world. We need to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We have come here, some of us came here depleted, we came here perhaps perplexed, we came here with questions. We, I don't know how you came to this conference, but I want to tell you, if you've been in the sessions and you've been letting the Word of God minister to your heart and you've heard the preaching of the Word of God, you're leaving here with a full heart. And you're going back to some of those things that distressed you and some of those things that perplexed you. And you're going back to those things, but we're going back with a full heart. And listen, listen, we want to go back and take what God has given us. And we want to use that so that we remain steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding. And that's what Paul was encouraging the young church of Thessalonica with. Remember, Paul had come to Macedonia, and he had seen the, had, heard, had the Macedonian call, and he came to Macedonia, came to Philippi. He had ministry there, but he was put in jail. He and Silas sang, and God shook that place, and, and Paul left there. Paul came down the road to Berea and then ministered there, and then Paul came to Thessalonica. And Paul was only in that, that place for three Sabbaths, teaching and winning souls, and just in that short amount of time, God began to do a work in these young converts' hearts. And Paul was giving himself day and night to instruct these people. And then remember, persecution was following Paul, and he knew that it would he could withstand it, but it would be detrimental to these young believers. So Paul left, and he left some team with them, but he left. And remember, Paul waited down there in Athens for a long time, waiting to hear Timothy's response about how things were going in Thessalonica. And when he got Timothy's response, Paul, Paul was so thrilled. He wrote the book of that first epistle of Thessalonians, and he just said, man, you guys are an ideal church, and your testimony has gone all over this whole region, and God is using you, and God is working. I mean, you read that book of 1 Thessalonians, and it is, it is it, as a pastor reads 1 Thessalonians, it's, it's what you want for your church. You, you want your church to stay vibrant and, and filled with the Spirit like that young church, growing and hungry and making a difference in the world, and that's what they were doing. And Paul was so encouraged, and Paul had labored with them. And remember, Paul had told them, they were wondering, hey, what about, what about those people that got saved and then they die before, before the Lord comes? They'd ask Paul that question, what happens? And Paul wrote to them. Paul wrote, Paul wrote there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, remember? He said, I would not have you to be ignorant 
concerning them which are asleep. Then he talked about how Jesus was coming again. You remember that? He said he's coming. You remember that? You remember that? that he, you, I remember how he wrote that? Now, now, now listen, somewhere in there, somebody had written a letter to the church and signed Paul's name to it. And it told those people that the Lord already came and they're in the tribulation. And they were going to suffer great things and they had missed it. Remember, remember they were, Paul, Paul is writing this letter to correct that. Look with me in chapter 2, in verse 1, he says to this young church, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, listen. We beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that you be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, is that the day of Christ is at hand. Now listen, this church was on shaky ground. They were shaken by what they had heard. They had heard that, man, Christ had already come, and that they were, they were going to have to go through this tribulation, and they were under the great wrath of the day of the Lord. And this church was, and by the way, if we heard that and we thought that, would not we be troubled? Knowing of what's going to come upon this earth, would we not be troubled knowing, knowing what's coming? Wouldn't we be troubled? They were troubled. And they were a shaky church. And Paul said, I don't want you to be soon shaken. And I want to say to the, this, this, this church tonight, I want to say to every one of you pastors and every Christian worker and every church member, listen, this is no time to be shaken. This is no time. I remember, I remember years ago when, when Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait. And uh, President George Bush had given some deadlines and he had, he had laid out some red lines and said, listen, do not do this. And if you do, we're going to war. That'll be a declaration of war. And, and uh, he had made that very clear. And then Saddam Hussein defied that and invaded anyway. You remember that? And then the American politics and all the different uh, thinking uh, think tanks and the talking heads begin to begin to surmise what was going to happen. And George Bush had made this 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 clear uh, this clear demand, and then it was broken. And now there was there was a little bit of uh, wondering of what he was going to do. And he got a phone call from the Prime Minister of England, and he heard that voice of the Prime Minister, and she said, uh, "Mr. President." This is no time to go wobbly. Uh, Mr. President, this is no time to go wobbly. Can I say this to the church tonight? This is no time to go wobbly. This is no time to be shaken. I mean, a shaken world needs a steadfast church. A shaking world needs a church that is firm and solid and steadfast and anchored to the rock and unmovable and moving forward for Christ. This is the day where we need to be steadfast. Now, how are we going to do that? Well, let me give you a couple things that Paul gave to them. This is his message to them. I don't want you shaken in this world. I don't want you trembling in this world. Listen, God didn't leave you here. God didn't put us here and then leave us here as the church to be victims of all that's going on in the world. We're not victims. We're victors. 
We've been called to conquer. We're not just wandering aimlessly in this world. We're not wilderness wanderers. We're Canaan conquerors. God has called us and he has sent us in his power, with his word, with his directives, and he's told us to go and to take what he has given us and to live in the victory of Jesus Christ. But this church was experiencing some shaking. So Paul is going to tell them what to do. Watch what he says. Look at back at chapter 1. Paul, in verse number 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, those are not just glib introductory verses. Paul is saying, hey, Paul's here, Silas is here, Timothy's here, you guys remember us. And we're here serving God and we're writing to you we're writing, we're writing to you in God. We're writing to you in God our Father. We're writing to you in God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're writing to you about grace and peace from God and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what he says in verse 3. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet. Because that your faith groweth exceedingly and the charity of every one of you... Uh, all toward each other aboundeth so that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and faith and all persecution and tribulation which you endure. Listen, this church had been growing in faith. This church had been loving each other. This church had been serving one another. This church was doing mighty things. They were witnessing for Christ. They were, they were loving on each other with fervent charity. This church was a growing and going church and Satan was always going to try to find a way to get a church that is abounding to get that church shaking. Paul said, we glory in that. We, we think about what God's doing in your church often. Do, do you know, do you, can I just tell you, I think we need to be reminded that sometimes we just get into our churches and we're doing our thing and we're coming on Sundays and we're coming on Wednesdays and we're teaching our classes and we're singing our songs and we're serving in our place and, and, and we're, just, we're just going through one after the other after the other. And sometimes we get so focused on what's just going on at Good Shepherd that we forget that this church is a testimony to other churches. And there are other people encouraged by what's going on here, by your faithfulness to sing and to teach and to, and to serve. And, you know, sometimes uh, your pastor will go preach somewhere and they'll say, man, pastor, we heard about what God's doing at Good Shepherd. And, and you know what he's thinking in his heart? He's thinking, he's thinking, well, yeah, God's doing great things at Good Shepherd. Oh, you're doing a great work there. And you know what he's thinking in his heart? Oh, I don't teach the classes. I don't sing the songs. There's a host of people that are doing the work and the testimony of this church. Listen, your testimony in this church is a light to other churches. We forget that, that we need one another. And Paul said, listen, we've heard what God's doing there and we glorify God in that. And look what he says in verse number, in verse number five. He said, which is, manifest, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which also you suffer. He said, you've been going through some trials. You've been going through persecutions, but you've been enduring those things. And he said, listen, God has allowed you to go through those things to make you worthy. He's purifying you. He's purging you. You're going to go through trials, but you've been withstanding them. And that's a wonderful thing. We ought to withstand the trials. And listen, we ought to embrace wherein we greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, we are in heaviness through manifold temptation that the trial of our faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. 
Though it be tried with fire, it might be found in a praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He said, to, he said to this church, he said, listen, you're going through some trials, but God has put you in those trials. Now watch. He said, this is part of God's righteous plan for you. Then he said in verse 6, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. Now look right here. This is Paul's first word of admonition to a church who had been shaken. A growing church, an abounding church, a loving church, a steadfast church, an enduring church, a working church, the ideal church of what a church ought to be. This church was doing that. But now they had been shaken. And Paul wrote with them and said, listen, there's persecution going on in the world. There are tribulations going on in the world. But just because you're going through some tribulation doesn't mean it's the tribulation. I mean, didn't Jesus tell us in this world you shall have tribulation? But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Listen, you don't, have to, you don't have to lock down and worry every time there's a trial and a testing and a tribulation and a persecution. God is the righteous judge. God will let you go through things to perfect you if need be, to try you, to purify you, to make you where you can glorify God. God will, God will put you through some things. Listen, hey, hey, I want every family to understand this. Every husband, every wife, every family, every church member, you need to understand that you personally are going to go through trials in your life that God will allow you to go through. But God is righteous. What he's going to do to refine you, he will see others who have brought tribulation in your life and then God is righteous and he will reprove them. Listen, God's taking record. God's taking record. We, we heard about it just wonderfully the, the, last night. I mean, God used Nebuchadnezzar to, to refine and, and to bring Israel through a great refining, did he not? Didn't God raise up the Chaldeans to do that? God said, I'm working a work. I'm going to use those Chaldeans to refine you, to purge you, to purify you. I'm going to use them. But wait a minute. But wait a minute. I'm also going to judge them. And God's righteous. He's sovereign. He's righteous. And that's what he's telling them. Listen, you're going through these trials. Look, you're going to go through some tribulation. But it doesn't mean you're in the great tribulation. Watch what he says. He says, and to you who are troubled... Rest with us. This was Paul's word of steadfastness to a shaky church. Here's what it was. He said, brethren, don't be distressed. Rest with us. Amen. Paul said, look, it's me. It's Silas. It's Timothy. It's people who've been beaten and imprisoned. It's people who, have, we came to you with stripes. We came to you from Philippi. We had been beaten and put in jail. We still had the wounds. We came to you, remember? But listen, we came to you rejoicing. We came to you resting in the Lord, knowing that God was righteous in allowing that, and God was going to recompense those that had done this to us. God was going to use this for his glory and for our good. So just rest. You know, so many Christians are so distressed today. We're all distressed about what's going on in the world. We're troubled about all the things, and we worry about all the things that are happening in the world. Do we not? Yes or no? 
If you understand what I'm saying tonight, shake your head up and down. Are a lot of Christians distressed? We look at the whole landscape of the world politically and in the society, and we wonder, what is this world coming to? Well, listen, it's coming to Jesus. You say, man, everything's falling apart. No, 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 no. Everything's falling in place. It's not all coming apart. It's coming together. God has a plan. We've, have you not read the end of it? Paul said, just rest. Listen, Jesus, Jesus never told us to get saved and then hang on. He told us to get saved and come unto me, all you that labor in a heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We need to rest. Listen, I, I had a friend one time. He was so scared to fly. He was terrified to fly, and I bought him some tickets to a football game. He loved, he loved a certain football team, American football, and I said, hey, I'm going to take you to this game. He said, how are we going to get there? So we're going to fly. He said, I'm not going. I said, too late. I've already got the ticket, and you're going. He said, I can't fly. I said, what do you mean? I know you can't fly. I'm not expecting you to fly. I'm not riding on your back. You're not Peter Pan. We're going to get on a plane. He said, oh, no I, I, no, I can't do that. I said, no, you will do that. He goes, no, I can't. I'm, I'm terrified. I'm, I'm what? I said, do you believe the airplanes fly? Well, yeah. I mean, there was one flying over us right now. I'm like, look, there it is. I said, there are people sitting up there. He goes, oh, I don't know how they do it. I said, well, they sit down. You don't know how to sit down? <laughs> they, just, they just sit down. It's pretty simple. I said, listen, he's, he's, he's looking at that plane. I said, do you believe that airplanes fly? Yeah. Do you believe in the laws of aerodynamics? Yeah. Do you believe there are people called pilots who know how to take that plane off the ground and get it back on the ground? Yeah. Well, then let's go. No, I'm not doing it. I said, yes, you are. Listen, we got to the airport. I got him down the jet bridge. I'll never forget, man. He was walking on that plane. We walked on that plane. I made him sit by the window so he couldn't get out. He got on. I said, put your seatbelt on. He put his seatbelt on, and we sat there. Now, listen. Now, listen. Here's, here's what happened. I sat down in that seat, and I, I got my, my seatbelt on, and I had a book I wanted to read. And I turned my little light on, turned my little air vent on, and I was just flying along. And I was enjoying the flight. Let me tell you how George went. George was doing this the whole time. He was like this, man, we have that plane. Oh, are we going to crash? I mean, this is how he was going. This is how he was going. I said, well, what happened? What was that? I'm like, uh, and I just, I just said, I just said, uh, it's just a little turbulence. And he, and he said, he said, well, what's turbulence? And I said, uh, I said, have you ever driven down a dirt road? And he, he said, yeah, yeah. I said, you ever been on little bumps on the dirt road? Yeah, yeah. That's what I was doing in the air. He said, he said well, well, how do they get bumps in the air? I, I said, I, I, I don't know, but it's okay. I mean, it's not even spilling your drink. I said, you haven't even drank your drink. He said, how, how can you drink at a time like this? I said, it's easy. The pilot was doing it before he got on the plane. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now look. Now look at me. Watch this. Listen to me. Listen to me. You know, listen. Listen, some of us came and we put our faith in Jesus Christ and we trusted. We just sat down and just said, Lord, I'm going to enjoy the journey. 
And you're going to go through some bumps, and it's going to be trials, and there's going to be some times where things might get a little shaky. But you know what? I'm going to sit back, and I'm going to let the captain fly the plane, and I'm going to rest in his ability and in his power. But some of you are going to heaven like this. What's going on? What's happening here? What's going on? What was that? What is this? What does that mean? Where is this? You're searching every line in the Bible. Where does this line up in prophecy? Listen, just relax. Brethren, rest with us. Rest with us. Paul was writing to them and said, are we troubled? And they said, no. Well, then sit down. Eat a peanut on the plane. Listen, if you really want to rest right here, just look up to the cabin and see Mansur up there in first class. And you see that other guy that's got that callus on his hand? That's the guy that carries his briefcase. (laughs) But brethren, just rest with us. Listen to me. Listen. Jesus is coming again. Rest with us. Rest with us. Rest with us. You say, okay, but on what basis? I mean, you know, I I wouldn't really rest on a plane if I didn't understand that the law of aerodynamics was greater than the law of gravity. That greater law supersedes that other law. And so I understand that there's somebody up there who knows how to control the crash. And that aerodynamics will be greater than the law of gravity and we can go up and we can come down safely. So Paul's not just telling them to just chill out on no basis. Paul is telling them, rest with us in this. In what, Paul? Look at it. He said, look at verse 7. And those of you who are troubled, I'm talking all of you tonight who are troubled about things in this world, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven. Now, let me tell you what Paul, first of all, he said you can rest, first of all, in the who. He is the Lord. He is the master. He is the ruler. He is the great Adonai. He is the Lord. And he's the Lord to the glory of the Father. And he is Jesus. He is the one who is the Savior. He will save you from your sins. Not only is he the Lord with the right to judge you, but he's also the Savior who died for you and declared you forgiven. And that Lord Jesus, that's who, that's who. He's coming. You can rest in him. You can rest in him. He can rest in the who. That the Lord Jesus. Now you hear me tonight, and I'm telling you, his lordship has been ignored. His lordship has been rejected. His holy name has been scoffed. His name, the name of Jesus, the name above all names, is used as a curse word. This world has mocked him. They have scoffed him. They have rejected him. They have insulted him. They have ignored him. They have defied him. They have tried to push him away. But I want to tell you, who is coming again? One of these days, one of these days, that who is coming. He is still Lord. And he will be revealed. He will be unveiled. 
The Bible told us that after his resurrection, he went in behind the veil. He went into the veil, into the Holy of Holies, and he seated there, the anchor of our souls. We have an anchor who has anchored us to the very throne of God through the wounds in his hands. And listen to me, he is our anchor and he is in the veil. And this world is ignorant of Christ. This world is oblivious of Christ. They don't think of him. They don't think about their Lord. They haven't confessed him as Lord. They need to hear about their Lord. But you hear me, one of these days, he will be revealed. That veil is coming undone and he is going to step out on clouds of glory and they will see him as Lord. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then Paul said, I want you to see when. You can rest because there's a when. He said in verse 7, to those of you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus. Now Paul's not saying a date. He's not saying... I know the day or the hour. This when is not an assumption of a time. This when is the declaration of a fact. It's not when, date, and time he's going to come. It is when, factually, he is going to come. It's not an if he's going to come. It's not he might come. It is when he shall come. And I want to tell you, on the authority of this book, Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. It is, not, it is not a hope. It is not a maybe. It is not a wish. It is our blessed hope. It is a confidence. It is an assurance. It is a settled fact that Jesus is coming again. Listen to me. He came the first time. He had been prophesied. He had been declared. He had been announced. And Jesus showed up. And he did exactly what he was prophesied to do. He was born of a virgin in a place called Bethlehem. He lived 33 sinless years. He never one time ever spoke an evil word. Never one time handled an ungodly thing, never went an ungodly step. Jesus was pure. He was holy. He was undefiled. He was separate of sinners, and he was harmless. And he came, and Jesus himself went to that cross, and God made him to become sin for us so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. He died on that cross. He was bore, He bore our burdens. He took our sin upon his body. He took the nails. He took the stripes. He took the thorns. He took the mocking. He took the rejection, and he died in shame at Calvary. They put his lifeless body in a tomb. But I want to tell you, just like this Bible said, three days later, he came out of that grave alive. He rose in victory. He walked on this earth and then he ascended in the clouds to be set down at the right hand of God, ever to be at the throne of God. And you hear me, if he came surely the first time, he is coming surely the second time. Jesus is coming again. It is a win. Listen, we're not just all here living a pipe dream. We have a fact. We are looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. I love it. It's a dark world, isn't it? But Malachi prophesied in Malachi 4.2, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness arise. Listen to me. In this old dark world, there's coming a sunrise. And just like a sunrise, you can't hurry it and you can't stop it, but it's coming. And Jesus is coming again. Look what he says in verse 7. He says, and to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. 
and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come, watch this, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe. Because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Paul said, you can rest with us because who is coming? And he's coming when? But he is coming in wonder. He is coming to be admired in his saints. That word admired, it is the word of wonder. And even beyond that, it is breathtaking awe. Do you understand what it is going to be like when you see him? I mean, have you thought about it? When you see him, do you know what you're going to see? You are going to see the God who came in the flesh. We're going to see the prince of the nails, but listen to me. We are going to see his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we will wonder. Let me tell you what we're going to see. We're going to see holiness. Pure holiness. You have never seen anything besides what you've seen in this book, in this world. You've never seen that kind of holiness. And you're going to behold him in his purity, in his righteousness, in his glory. And you are going to wonder. His name, who is holiness. You're going to wonder. It's going to be breathtaking awe. Oh, listen. We're going to be in wonder at his power. Do you understand the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, do you really understand his power? It was by him that all things were created. It is by him that all things consist. This whole world holds together. Jesus is the glue of the galaxies. He holds it all together. Nuclear scientists have studied the atoms and they've studied the electrons and neutrons and protons. They've looked at all of that spinning around, holding everything together, and they still don't quite understand how they all stay together. What holds these things in place? Jesus does. By the way, 2 Peter tells us that one of these days when he comes, the elements will melt away with fervent heat. And everything will be dissolved. You talk about nuclear meltdown. When Jesus says, uncreate, it is going to uncreate. Peter says it's going to be with a great noise. That's a big bang. The scientists are right about the big bang. They're just wrong about when it happens. It didn't happen at the first. It's going to happen at the last and with a fervent heat. Global warming will happen. But it won't be your SUV and it won't be because you cut down a tree. Uh, it's going to happen because Jesus came and everything at his word that he was holding together will come apart. And he's going to make a new heaven and he's going to make a new earth. Listen to me. We're going to watch it. We're going to stand with him in great emptiness and hear him once again create that light and that glory. And we'll see new heavens and a new earth and everything that was in this former world has gone away. No more suffering. 
sorrow, no more sin, no more darkness, no more death. All of it is gone. There will be no tears. There will be no crying. There will be no leaving one another. It will all be glory with God and He will dwell with us and we will be His people and He will be our God. We're going to wonder at that. We're going to wonder at that. We're going to see His power. Listen to me. We're going to see his love. When you look at the face of holy God in all his power, you are going to see love like you've never seen love. A pure love. God's love. You're going to see that love that John tried to write about when he said, God, so loved. And we are going to awe at the love of God. We're going to see forgiveness. Do you understand when we see Jesus, he's going to come with 10,000s of his saints. There're going to be people in that crowd who had been murderers. great fornicators, the Nebuchadnezzars who are washed and they're in robes of righteousness, white and clean, and they are glorified and justified and sanctified, and they are now made like unto him. No wonder he's going to be glorified in his saints. He will be glorified in his saints. I was reading a story not long ago about a chaplain from the United States who was sent. He was sent to the Nuremberg trials after World War II. And this chaplain was sent to give comfort to 21 war criminals. I mean, the chief Nazi war criminals who ran the concentration camps, who gassed the Jews in World War II, this chaplain was sent to them. Other chaplains didn't want the job. Other chaplains, other chaplains would not fellowship with this chaplain because he took the job. You can read about this. It is in documentation. It is in, it is in the archives. It is in the records. You can read it. But this dear chaplain begin to minister to these monsters. And as he began to minister to them and teach them of Jesus Christ while they were imprisoned, he kept detailed documentation. Out of those 21, 11 of those men came to a repenting faith in Jesus Christ. He walked all 21 of those men, save one who killed himself by Sinai, but he walked every one of those men to the gallows. He walked up the 13 steps to the gallows and watched those men die. And some of those men he refused to give communion to because they had not repented and put their faith in Jesus Christ. You are not a believer and I will not serve you communion. But some of these criminals, I'm talking about men who are in great, They're in documentation and photos everywhere with Adolf Hitler, men who were responsible for the mass murder, 
hundreds of thousands of people, men and women and children, came to a place of saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This chaplain was leaving. He was supposed to leave his post for a year. Those men took it upon themselves to write a letter to his wife. And they said, we beg you. We know that this is hard on you. We know that you want him home. But for these two years, he has ministered to us and he has taught us. Please let him stay. Please let him stay. That we may grow in our faith. That we may meet God in right conscience. And listen, they pled with him. And I'm going to tell you, if that bothers you, then you don't understand the depth of your own sin. You don't understand the weight and the guilt of your own iniquity. And listen to me, one of these days you're going to stand and look at Jesus and you're going to marvel at his forgiveness and how that holy God, that God of almighty power and infinite and sovereignty and that God who could, who could alone declare himself to be God holy and righteous would ever receive a sinner such as I and yet he clothed me in mercy and grace and loving kindness and he made me his own and he declared me his own son that's going to marvel me when I see him rest with us in that Rest with us in that. We're going to see his grace and we're going to see his keeping power. Do you understand that Jesus said to the Father that of all that you've given me, I have lost none. When we get to heaven, let me tell you something, we'll all be there. We are going to have a reunion with the Father and we are going to glorify the Son and the whole family will be there. And no one that was there was, was to be there will be missing from there. And it is going to be a time of rejoicing and we are going to marvel that he kept so many saved. That he kept, and listen, those of us who've been saved according to the book of 1 Peter, we have been born again to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. Listen to me. I am not keeping myself saved. I have been keeping, I have been in the keeping power. Jesus said in John 10, I have put you into his hand and no man can pluck you out of his hand. And listen, when we get there, he will have lost none of them. Not one sheep will be wayward. Not one will be missing from the fold. The family will all be there, fitly joined together. Every man as God has placed them in the body as it pleased him. All the members will be there and all of us will be in all and wonder. Rest in that. He says in chapter 2, in verse number 1, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or troubled, neither by spirit or by word nor by letter, as from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you. He said, I don't want you to be distressed. Rest. And then he said, I want no man to deceive you. Do not be deceived. He said, don't be deceived. Watch. Don't be deceived by any means. Can I tell you tonight that Satan is a liar? Yes, sir. And Satan is a deceiver? Yes, sir. And Satan's greatest work is to come alongside of the truth? 
and to lead people who believe the truth and who are following the truth into something that they think is the truth, but it is, it is error and they'll leave the faith. Satan is after you. He's after your mind. He's after your heart. He's after he's speaking lies. He is deceiving and being deceived. Listen to me. Jesus said in the last days, in the last days, iniquity shall be abound. The love of many shall wax cold. And he said they will go deceiving and being deceived. We are living in a day, Paul said in the last days, there shall arise teachers. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. We need to discern the truth. Paul said, listen, just rest. All of this stuff that's going on in the world, it's all coming to Jesus. He's coming again, so don't be deceived. Listen, you better know the truth. Hey, how do you keep from being shaky in this old world? How do you keep steadfast? Well, you just anchor yourself to the rock of his word and know this book. You be under the preaching. You get under the teaching. You get in it every day and you hide it in your heart and you let it be your compass and you let it be the roadmap. You let it be your necessary food. You eat it. You drink it. You sleep with it. You walk with it. You talk it. You hide it in your heart. You use it. You preach it. You tell others about it. Listen, the word of God is what will keep you from being deceived. Paul said he'll use any means. Paul told the church at Corinth, he said, I have tried. He said, I have, I have wanted to espouse you unto one husband as a chaste virgin. But I fear. Lest by any means. You see, Satan doesn't care what he deceives you with so long as you're deceived. He doesn't, he, the devil doesn't want, he doesn't care what he uses or who he uses as long as it deceives you from following the truth. But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that's in Christ. <laughs> Listen to me. Paul tells them, don't be deceived. You're not in the great tribulation. Let me tell you about that great tribulation. That day shall not come, he said, except there come a falling away first. The great apostasy is going to come. And by the way, I believe it's already coming. I think we're, we're in the beginnings of this great apostasy, the falling away from the truth. And we're falling away. The, the Amos said in the last days, there will be a famine in the land, not of bread and water, but of the hearing of the word of God. And men will go to and fro and not be able to find it. If you've got a Bible preaching church, you better be there. There's a falling away, an apostatizing of the world, and that will shake your faith. You'll hear some slick talker on YouTube, and he'll be teaching you something out of the Word of God, claiming that it's the Word of God. He'll be reading things, but he'll be leading you astray. Listen, Jesus told us to be careful how we hear, but he also told us to be careful what you hear. We better be good listeners, but we better be listening to good things. You say, well, how do I know? You filter it through the word of God. You become the Bereans in your nobility and you take the things and you search the scriptures daily. Listen, you search the scriptures daily to see if the things are so. You get this book and you hide it in your heart. Listen, that great falling away will come and then the man of sin, that antichrist, will be revealed. There is coming a man who will dominate this world. He is going to come. He's going to put this world under his order, under his control, under his demand. He is going to mark it. He is going to call it his. He is going to watch it. He's going to control it. He's going to say, you cannot buy, you cannot sell unless you take this mark. And by the way, we are living in the age now. We see how quickly that could happen on this planet. 
He is going to use the mechanisms that we have created technologically and he will be able to take this world by storm and he will lock it down. He will control it and you will do as he says. The Bible calls him the beast. The Bible calls him the man of sin. Listen to me. Listen to me. God, people, evolutionists teach us that we went from that we're, that we're going from the beast to the man. Oh, listen, we went from the man in the garden and we're going to the beast. The beast is coming. He's the Antichrist, the son of perdition. And that man is coming, and we have seen what can happen with power like that. But you don't have to be shaken. Because the Bible says clearly, in verse number 4, who opposeth and exalteth himself, this is the Antichrist, anti-meaning instead of and against. So he's a man instead of Christ and against Christ. He opposes and exalted himself above all that is called God or that is worth worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. Isn't that interesting? Paul was with them for those few weeks, and Paul went through the cross, the tomb, and then he gave them a great class on end times. Some people think that new believers can't handle all that. Listen, they need to know our blessed hope that Jesus is coming again. But look at, look at verse number eight, or verse number seven. Uh, I'm sorry, verse number six. And now you know that withholdeth. Do you know what's withholding that from coming? The Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is withholding all of that, that he might be revealed in his time. God's in control of that. Amen. Listen, don't be shaken about all that. You just need to know. Amen. Don't be deceived. Listen, there's not some just weird power in the background that is manipulating everything. Look, God, behind all the powers and all the darkness behind all the thrones, we wrestle not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places and rulers of darkness. Listen, all of that is real. Somebody said, are you a conspiracy theorist? I believe in a great conspirator, and his name is Satan, and he's a power behind the throne. He is that darkness. He is the prince of the power of the air. He's the God of this world. He is manipulating and working. But listen to me. He only only thinks he's in control, but he's sailing a sinking ship. He's walking around with a broken back. His head has already been crushed. I'm not worried. There is one that is resisting him. He cannot go before his time, and that one will be taken out. And when he's taken out, we go with him. It's called the rapture of the church, and we're going. And then he can have the whole thing. Let him take it, because guess what? He's going to rule this world. He's going to mark it and chip it and tell it what it can do. He's going to lock it down and demand his way, and he's going to put himself in great power. He's going to look to the east and say, I've conquered it. He's going to look to the west and say, I've conquered it. He's going to look to the north and say, I've conquered it. He's going to look to the south and say, I've conquered it. But he's going to forget to look up. And there's going to come some horse hooves across the Milky Way and a great white horse ridden by one who has a vesture dipped in blood and written on his thigh is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And he is going to come in great power. His face is going to shine with the brilliance of the sun. His eyes is a flaming fire. Out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. And he is coming in great vengeance. And I want to tell you, that man will fall at one word from that powerful mouth. And by that word, Jesus will conquer all of his armies. And he will walk to those eastern gates. And those gates will say, lift up your heads, O ye gates. The king of glory shall come in. And those gates shall swing open. And Jesus will march into that place and take his rightful place on the rightful throne. And he will put down a scepter 
scepter of righteousness and he will restore this world in the order that he has declared and he will rule as king of glory. So don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. That's what Paul said. Why are you shaking? Don't be deceived. But then here's what he said. But I want you to be directed. You don't need to be shaking, looking around. You need to be fixed, moving forward. You need to be under the direction of God. Look at chapter 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as with you. Are you praying for that? Oh, God, let the word of God advance. God, give the word of God free course in Australia. Oh, God, give free course to the word in the hearts of our young people. Oh, God, let it advance. Let us be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. But the Lord is faithful. Who shall establish you? Why are you shaky when you can be established? He will establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things that we commend you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. When we're being directed, we get back to rest. We're just waiting. But we're not just sitting idle. We're being directed. What are we being directed in? God is directing us. Watch this. He's directing us around unreasonable and wicked men. He's leading our course into this world to those who need to hear. Through us, he's allowing the word of God to advance. He is faithful in that, and he will keep us from the evil. Didn't he tell us to pray that? For thine is power and the glory and the kingdom forever and ever. Didn't he tell us? Deliver us from evil. He's able. He's able to keep us from evil. And he will direct your hearts into the love of God. You know what Peter said? Every one of the writers who were speaking about the end times gave this admonition about the end times to believers. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter 4, 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch into prayer. And above all things, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Most important thing that this church can do in a shaky world is to love each other with the love of God. The most important thing we can do is be directed into the love of God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our might and all of our strength and to love our brothers and to love this church and to love what God loves. What does God love? God loves people. Love one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. You say, preacher, why is love so important in this shaky world? Shouldn't we be doing other things? I mean, sh I, mean I know we need to love, but shouldn't there be other things that are priority? Oh, no, 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 no. Why love? Because love is the greatest virtue. There remain the three, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is 
love. It's the greatest virtue. Not only is it the greatest virtue, it's the greatest commandment. What is the greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. It's the greatest commandment. It's the greatest motivation. For the love of Christ constrains me. What gets me into my place of ministry? Is it the fear of the pastor? No, it's the love of Christ. It envelops me. It wraps me. It motivates me. It keeps me. It constrains me. And then listen. It's not only the greatest virtue and the greatest commandment, the greatest motivator, but listen. It's the greatest testimony of the church. Hereby shall all men know you're my disciples. That you love one another. Jesus gave us two great marks of the last days. He said, in the last days, iniquity shall abound. It will be a day of lawlessness. And the love of many shall wax cold. It will be a day of lovelessness. Go out into this world and try to find love. You hear me? As the days grow darker and more lawless and more loveless, when God's people begin to love in the love of God and bear one another's burdens and have fervent charity and sacrifice and give and love and pray and care and do and go and they're motivated by the love of Christ, that church stands out like a diamond in a coal mine. It becomes a peculiar people. It becomes a people that say, wait a minute, there's something there that is not in this world and is a testimony that God so loved us and he shed abroad his love in our hearts that whereby we might love one another and then so loving we glorify God. It is the great greatest testimony of the church so above all things have fervent charity among yourselves let God direct you into the love of God and when you're doing that you can patiently wait for the coming of Christ attention ladies and gentlemen we're coming into our final approach. Put your seat backs up and your tray tables away. Make sure that you have your seat belts fastened as we prepare the cabin for arrival. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. The weather's good. The sun is shining. The runway's gold. Sit back and enjoy this, la this landing. Listen to me. One of these days, we're going to step off this old plane and we're going to behold him. Don't be distressed. Don't be deceived. But be directed to the very love of God. Brethren, let us love one another. Jesus is coming again. If you're not saved tonight, you better come to Jesus Christ. You say, what do I have to do? Oh, he told us right there. He said that he's coming to receive all those who have believed. He said, oh, that sounds so simple. Yeah, it's so gloriously simple. And so simply glorious to come to Jesus Christ by faith.
When I get to heaven, I'm not saved because I gave and sang and preached and did. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to his cross I cling. Tonight, if you're not saved, you need to be born again. And if you are saved, rest. Trust. Love. Father, I pray that you'll bless your word tonight. I pray that you would help us in these shaky times to be a steadfast church. In these dark days that we would be a, a light. God, encourage our hearts. I pray that we would all leave here tonight with an expectancy to see Jesus. I pray that we would work for you and live for you and long for you while we look for you. And Lord, may we not fail to see you in one another and that we would love one another well as you have loved us. Lord, challenge us and help us. This world needs strong and steadfast churches. May we be faithful till you come. Thank you that you're able to keep us from falling. God, help us tonight in Jesus' name.